Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, January 16, 2022. It focuses on Jesus' willingness to do what the Father directs with no thought to the consequences. The message to all who will listen is pleasing God is more important than pleasing men. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's uh, pray together, and then we'll go to God's Word, and I'm sure that God has something for you. Otherwise, why would we get together? We get together to encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds, and that's the purpose for this message this morning, is so that when we go out, we can do what God's called us to. So let's pray together. God, thank you that you are here. We thank you that you love us and care about what's going on in our lives, and God, I pray that You would accomplish your purposes, that you would do all that you desire in each of us this morning. We thank you and praise you for your presence. We thank you for your word that teaches us and for your spirit that interprets us to our hearts and our minds so that we can live for you in his power. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, way back in the day, like 1980s back in the day, My youth group friends and I were really into a couple of Christian rock bands. My favorites were DeGarmo and Key and Petra, and I can still sing the lyrics to some of the songs from memory when I play them on Spotify. I don't have CDs anymore, but I can uh, sing those from memory. And one of the first songs that I learned when I picked up the guitar and learned to play it was Petra's classic 1981 song, the coloring song. The first verse begins... Red is the color of the blood that flowed on the face of someone who loved us so. He's the perfect man, he's the Lord's own son, he's the Lamb of God, he's the only one that can give us life, that can make us grow, that can make the sing the remaining verses, although they are equally great, but I'm going to let you in on the motif. Each of the verses used a different color to tell the good news about Jesus. For instance, blue is the color of a heart so cold it will not bend when the story is told. You get the idea gold and brown are also mentioned in there, and if you ever want me to sing it, like at a family gathering or something, just invite me. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) All right. A couple of years later, in 1983, the group released a new album, which included this song, God Pleaser, a song about living for God's approval rather than for the pleasure of the world. And the chorus is a declaration of intention that drives home the point personally, and I'm going to attempt to play this. It's a little more complicated. Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to have the wisdom to discern the two of Don't want to be a man pleaser. I want to be a God pleaser. I just want to do the things that I just, I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. But you get the idea, right? Good. 
All right, I'll stop doing that for now. <laughs> All of those songs were in much higher keys. I cannot sing like they did. But anyway, when I first heard Delia's words, don't want to be a man pleaser, I want to be a God pleaser, I was all in. I wanted more than anything to please God in my life, denying him, betraying his trust, doing things that would drag his name through the mud. I wanted nothing to do with that. God first, God alone, God always. Forget what my friends and neighbors want. I'm going to serve Jesus. Daniel in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't care what you do. You can throw me in the fire. I'm going to follow Jesus. What did Jesus say to his disciples and to the crowds in Matthew 6.1? Listen to him and heed this warning that he gives. In Matthew 6.1, he said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. God does not reward grandstanding. Show-offs do not get God's blessing. A few from among the Pharisees and teachers of the law were probably in the area or near enough to hear these words when Jesus spoke them, but they didn't get it. Jesus had to confront their hypocrisy a year or two or maybe close to three years later in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus kind of makes things personal, calling these religious fakes out for their man-pleasing tendencies and their legalistic bent. Hear now the words with which Jesus began his scathing rebuke of the arrogant religious leaders. I'm reading verses 1 through the first part of verse 5 of Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. That's the most damning statement of all of them, isn't it? Everything they do is for people to see. Nothing is about God or serving Him. It's everything is done for people to see. Doing things for the praise and adoration of others is a trap. I know because I've been caught in it before. Anybody else? It's pretty common. I have to daily, with the Spirit's help, fight my people-pleasing tendencies, my pride, my desire to be seen as righteous in everybody's sight except for God's. Don't want to be a man-pleaser. I want to be a God-pleaser. I just want the wisdom to discern the two apart. Those words are still my heart cry, God help me. Jesus, the Son of God, the guy we've been talking about throughout the book of Mark is an example that I need. He is solely focused on what the Father wants. He does and says only what's pleasing to the one who sent him into the world. Well, as I read Mark chapter 10 over and over at the beginning of this week, I noticed Jesus' willingness to say some difficult things when pandering to his listeners would have been so much safer. A little softening of the truth, a little convenient lie, an insincere compliment, and he's off the hook. Jesus made his life difficult by the things that he said and the things that he did. 
Maybe you'll notice those things as we read Mark 10 this morning. I've invited Eve to come and read it for us this morning, so she's going to come and do that. And maybe God's going to show you something as she's reading, so pay attention. Whatever the Holy Spirit points out, that's God's message for you, so hear and heed what he says. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, 
Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called for the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. If I imagine myself in Jesus's sandals in each of these situations, I feel pressure rising up in my gut to compromise. I've preached honestly about divorce and remarriage before and ticked off a whole lot of people. It's easier to avoid the topic altogether. I've taught about giving a time or two, but never asked my hearers to give everything they own to the poor. I'll encourage people to follow their conscience and maybe back off about sacrificial giving, which actually hurts. Have I wanted power like James and John? This is less of a temptation for me, but I still cringe when I hear Jesus speak about lording it over others. I have sometimes shied away from the big ask for the hard truth because I know how difficult it is to follow Jesus' commands. He asks a lot of his kingdom citizens. Often he says, do this, and what he's saying I should do is more than I want to do. How about you? Have you ever struggled with fear or rebellion when you've read words from Jesus' lips? Have you walked away sad when you hear Jesus' next steps for spiritual growth because it's just too hard? Don't want to be a man-pleaser? I want to be a God-pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. If those words reflect the deepest desire of your heart, watch Jesus as he walks through Matthew chapter 10. Learn from him how to live with only God's pleasure in view. So let's start with that question that was put before Jesus at the beginning of the chapter, the one about divorce. It was asked of him to test him. Those who were posing the question didn't really want to know the answer. They just wanted to trap him. They wanted Jesus to falter. They wanted him to alienate the masses. One way or the other, he was going to do it. It was a loaded question. How does Jesus handle their challenge? 
he asked them what Moses said about the matter. Now they respect Moses, these people who are coming to trap him. He is their hero, their lawgiver, although actually God was the lawgiver. Moses was just the receiver who gave it to the people. Their answer is honest. They say Moses permitted divorce and spelled out the rules governing the dissolution of a marriage. And Jesus' response to this is not a man-pleasing response at all. He speaks the truth about divorce, saying that it's only because men were hard-hearted that a legal means of separation was created or required. God gave the law as it was written in order to protect women who were often tossed aside for the latest, greatest, younger version. Divorce allowed a woman thus discarded to remarry and find protection in the home of another in a culture where she often was persecuted if she was alone. That the law allowed for divorce does not mean that God wanted divorce to take place. Jesus makes that plain. He says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then he adds the toughest words on the subject. Any of us can imagine he states unequivocally that remarrying after divorce is adultery. This is not the kind of thing that you say if you're trying to gain favor with the majority of people. It's the kind of thing that you say only if you're 100% sure that it's true and it's 100% from God. Jesus is sure of both and so he speaks boldly and there's a lot more we could say about that. Don't receive condemnation. Receive the grace of God. There are probably a few people in that situation who stomped off angry at what he said. Did he anticipate their departure? I guess he did. He spoke God's truth anyway and passed God's test. Whose test do you want to pass? If you pass God's, you'll more often than not fail man's test. Are you ready to deal with the consequences of going against what your friends think and what your neighbors believe? Whose rejection are you willing to deal with? Your families, your co-workers, your churches, God's? Who matters most? Moving on, Jesus' eyes don't flit to those around him when the children and their loving parents come looking for a blessing. It isn't, as the disciples seem to think, beneath him to take time for little ones. He rebukes his followers for imagining children less important than adults. I read a story this week about a situation at Rift Valley Academy in its early years in Kenya. Years ago, a fire started in one of the school's buildings while the adults were in prayer meeting. The kids came running to report the disaster to their parents, and what happened? They were scolded for interrupting the prayer meeting. So they left this solemn gathering and waited till the parents got out and the building burned to the ground. If Jesus cared enough to take time for kids, maybe you and I need to do the same. If he thought they were important and worthy of God's attention, perhaps we should adjust our attitude toward them. Maybe they're more important than we think. I know some will be frustrated when we put little ones first, but will God be upset? What about Jesus' interaction with that rich man? If he was looking to please the man, what would he have said to him? Be nice, be generous, give 10% to the church, or the synagogue, I guess. 
But the man had asked Jesus, what does it take to get eternal life? That's a different question. Can being nice get you past heaven's gates? Does being generous or tithing obligate God to admit you into glory? Rather than give the safe answers you and I would come up with, knowing what's going on deep within the man before him, Jesus invites this wealthy man to smash the idol which was keeping him from eternal life. Are you living for God or for an idol in your life? After the dejected rich man walks off and the disciples question Jesus about who then can be saved, because they thought that if you were rich, that was God's blessing on you. Jesus responds to them and says what will please God rather than his followers. Don't get me wrong, some of what he says is encouraging. He promises blessing both right now and forever. He promises those things to have sacrificed much for the gospel, but he also guarantees, you heard Eve read it, he guarantees persecution. What do you and I tend to do? We tend to play up the benefits of joining the kingdom and downplay the cost. That's not Jesus' way. It's man-pleasing. Hear Jesus on the night that he would be arrested. He spoke these words to the twelve. They're found in John chapter 16, verses 32 and 33. It says this, The time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, you may be persecuted. Endure it. The suffering that you experience now will be worth it in the end. Who do you want to please? One more example of Jesus' God-pleasing bent. When James and John ask for positions of power in the kingdom and the ten remaining disciples get upset, Jesus speaks plainly to all of them. He knows they all want power in a worldly sense. He knows that they're jealous of each other and vying for position. What does Jesus do? What does he say? Look again at Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 44. Hear him out. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. <laughs> Who wants to be a servant? Any volunteers? Who wants to be a slave? Not many want that. The popular books, the self-help guides, the how-to-get-ahead instruction manuals, the leadership tomes, Jesus tosses them all in the bin. Nonsense. If you want to be great, be a servant, he says. Consider the needs of others. Let God alone rule. Don't want to be a man-pleaser. I want to be a God-pleaser. I just want to have the wisdom to discern the two apart. Don't want to be a man-pleaser. Don't want to be a God-pleaser. I just want to do the things that please the Father's heart. 
Have you heard what pleases God? It's following him rather than hardening your heart against your spouse. It's loving kids enough to take time to bless them, even when others would rather have your attention. It's giving up your idols, whatever it is that takes first place in your life above God. It's taking the position of a slave in every situation. I don't want you to get the impression this morning or any morning that your actions or your inactions in any way determine your standing before God or your eternal security. Salvation is not given to those who get their act together, but to those who trust God to do what he says he's going to do. All the work necessary to secure eternal life was done by Jesus on the cross. He paid the price of sin, that is death, so that we could have the gift of God. So don't go thinking you can get it right by being a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. What I'm asking as we close is this. Knowing that you are securing your salvation because of your faith in Jesus, will you follow him? Will you be a God-pleaser as he was, or will you cling to your man-pleasing ways? Consider these things. Let God speak to you. We're going to take just a few moments in silence to allow you to respond to God and to what he said in his word today. I pray that you would choose to be a God-pleaser rather than a man-pleaser. I confess that sometimes I get this wrong. That I get my eyes on people and what they want instead of on what you want. And I'm sure that my friends and my church family here and those who are hearing wherever they are that they would admit to you, at least, that that's true for them too, sometimes. God, help us to seek you first. To join you in your work instead of trying to build our own kingdom. Our own following. God, help us this week to walk in step with you. See what you want to do and join you in it. Amen. Last week at the end of my sermon, I read a few verses about Jesus from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And I'd like to read those verses again and add a few verses which came before that passage. So hear the words of Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Take them to heart. Let them guide you throughout this week. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather... In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We serve one another because he became a servant to show us the way. Let's serve the world with the same attitude that Jesus had, exalting Jesus as Lord and pointing people toward the Father by our words and our actions so that he receives the glory. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.